0: It's no small thing to be able to study and be faithful, and looking forward to seeing what God does in all three of your lives. Uh, it's going to be really exciting, and then I'm also really excited because um, at least for a couple of them, we we'll get to have them around for a little while longer. And the reason I'm excited about that is because we we need every generation. We need a multi-generational church if we're going to pursue God and benefit from all the gifts that he's given to us. And so I'm not just grateful as a parent, but I'm grateful as a pastor to be able to have uh, young adults in our church adding to the vitality of our church, bringing their own gifts and their own right and benefiting our body too. So I'm looking forward to that um uh, before we turn over to first thessalonians we have been going through something called a new city catechism together as a church we're doing that because we want to grow in our foundations we want to set firm foundations that we can then take and, and proclaim the good news to the world and so we've been learning all about jesus and all about our need for jesus over the past little while and so this past week it was question 21 uh, what sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? And so before I just give the answer to that, would anybody here like to stand up and give the answer? And oh, oh I, first I saw was behind you, Ainsley. I'm so sorry. I saw, I saw her first. I'm so sorry. She was quick, man. She was really quick. If you could, um, what sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? Wonderful, that's excellent, one who's truly human and also truly God, and um, Ainsley, you have next week, if you're here, um, that would be great, so we'd love to get you, and Gideon is running over to give, give a Chick-fil-A gift card as a way to say thanks. Um, together though, let's recite question number 22 together, you know, we'll do the question and then the answer, why must the Redeemer be truly human? that in human nature he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin and also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. Man, that's good news. That is good news. That should excite us every week as we're going through this, that, that he, he took on human nature so he could obey the whole law because we couldn't do that. And that so he could suffer the punishment that we deserved to suffer And not only that, so he could sympathize with our weaknesses, yet in every way was without sin. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Redeemer we have. I pray that as you're going through this question this week and and reading the Bible verses that are associated with that, maybe even reading the commentary associated with that in the app, that you would just be encouraged by not only does he remove our sins from us, but he gives us all of his righteousness. And not only that, he doesn't just leave us alone. He day by day prays for us and sympathizes with us and our weaknesses. And I pray that that would draw your affections towards God even more. Well, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We've been going through Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, and we are now at verse 9 of chapter 3. So turn to your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. This is God's word. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, today is somewhere around the 2000th anniversary of the day of Pentecost, the day when you miraculously poured out your Spirit. God, when you caused people to speak in other tongues and and brought thousands of people to faith in you by your miraculous working, God, today we are no less in need of your Spirit. We are are in need of your spirit in the same way thousands of years later, Lord. We are in the need of your spirit to illuminate our our minds, to open up our eyes, Lord, to to inspire our hearts, Lord, and to fill us with your spirit, to to make us alive in you and cause us to respond to you. So God, we, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come. Would you empower me in my weakness? God, I'm weak, but you are strong. Lord, empower all of us in our weakness to hear. We're weak, we're sleepy, but Lord, you are strong. Would you pour out the blessing of your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, through your word in this time, and would you bring us into your presence, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do you pray for on a regular basis? you to think about that for a second. What do you pray for on a regular basis? Not, not what should you pray for on a regular basis, but what do you actually pray for on a regular basis? What is the content of those prayers? What do you pray for on a regular basis in reality? And then think about it. What is the content of your prayers? What do you pray for repeatedly? Are there things you ask God for on a repeated basis? Are there things you're constantly petitioning God for? If so, what are they? What are those things? And then we ask you, what, what are what does the content of your prayer reveal about what you think is important? Because that's what prayer does. Prayer reveals what we believe is most needed, most necessary, most important to us. Over the years, I've been in a habit of praying for my children every night. And most nights, I'm at their bedside doing that. But not every night. But every night, I'm praying for my children. And I have, I've kind of fallen into this routine. And I didn't do it on purpose. I kind of got there over the years, kind of morphed into it. And then I realized, as I was preparing for this message, I was like, man, what, what am I praying for them? on a regular basis and what I every night what am I praying And it's not the only time I pray but what I what I pray for them every night and sometimes the prayers have different elements but almost always I I typically begin with with the blessing that God commanded Moses to tell Aaron to bless the people with in numbers we often end our services with that as well here and and that's where where God has says hey Moses tell Aaron to bless the people this way bless them in prayer. And so in number six, he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Why did God tell Moses to command Aaron to pray, to bless the people that way? Because really God saw, this is the most important thing, that that God's favor would shine on them, that God would bless them and keep them because we need God to bless and keep us. That, That God would be gracious to them because we need God's grace and that God's face would be turned towards them in favor and give them peace really it covers all the bases if you think about it that's that's the blessing that i want so every night i I tend to pray that blessing over my children and then i then i pray some other form of protection for them almost always i pray that god watch out over us all that he keep us safe that he protect us from any kind of evil any kind of harm any kind of accident that that he would give us sweet sleep he'd give us dreams from him and that he would help us love him more and love each other more. Some form of that, almost every night. And as I was thinking about this message, thinking about Paul's prayer and what Paul thought was important, I was thinking about what do I find important, what is most important, and what's revealed is what I think is most important in my prayers. What do you pray for? What do you pray for when you don't know where a loved one is or they're in danger, they're in harm? What do you pray for When you're in trouble. What do you pray for when you're under stress? Because that kind of reveals what you think is important. You know, sometimes we just pray hurried prayers of desperation. That's good. That honors God. But what do you pray for in those times where you had time to think about what you're praying for? The Apostle Paul, he's had time to think He's had time to think about what they really need, about what the Thessalonian church really needs. And he is praying here in a very condensed way. He prays a condensed prayer, and he thinks about at least at least three things that he's praying for, for them. And they reveal what's important to the Apostle Paul, and really, as a church, what's important to us. And he's not just doing it because he's trying to say, here's how I pray for you, but he's also modeling intentionally for the church in Thessalonica because he wants them to see what's important, I think God would have us see what's important from the apostles' prayers as well because he's writing instructionally. He's writing to instruct them in how he prays so that they can see what's important in prayer. It's not the only thing. But what's evident first and foremost is he has this desperate desire to be with them. He he wants to be with them face to face. He he wants to have fellowship in Christ with them. I mean, listen to his language in verse 10. Listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, we pray most earnestly night and day. The the literal language there is is, this picture of begging God. God, would you please let us be with them? Lord, we beg you we beseech you. And he says earnestly. This is not disingenuously. He he longs to be with them, to share fellowship in Christ with them. Now, why is he writing that? Because it's through this shared fellowship in Christ that we experience the other things he's going to pray for in just a moment. But he's, he's, he's intentionally, deliberately, he wants to be with them physically. And look at verse 11, it says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Because he knows that God ultimately is the one who directs our way to fellow believers. You know, Paul knows that as much of a blessing as letters can be and correspondence can be and emissary sent on his behalf can be, he knows there is no substitute for in-person, face-to-face communication, for in-person sharing of our life in Christ together. And, and, and it's not the main point, but boy, that is significant and drives all of what we're going to see here, is that we share a life in Christ together and that our shared life in Christ is meant to function. We, we need that shared life in Christ together. Paul felt that need desperately. We're meant to feel that need. We need need to share life in Christ together um, to be supplied with faith. That's what he's gonna pray, to be supplied with faith. He's gonna pray that that we're super bound in love and that we be strengthened in holiness and all those things are coming. He's praying for those things to come through shared life in Christ together. don't, Don't downplay that. You know, In this age that we live in, it's really common for us to get used to getting information from distant sources you can you can listen to a podcast I'm not the biggest fan of that but lots of people love podcasts listening getting information from a podcast you can you can read a blog you can look at somebody's social media there's all kinds of ways to assimilate information and the danger in that is that we can think that somehow it's a substitute for in person, face-to-face sharing of our life in Christ. And Paul, Paul is not content with that distant relationship. He's not content with just hearing about them in a letter, writing to him a letter, you know, the, the ancient equivalent of a blog or whatever it might be. He's not content with that he wants to be face-to-face because there's something about that face-to-face interaction, communication, that sharing of our life together in Christ that, that imparts the things he prays for. He prays that he would share a life together in Christ so that at least at least three things would occur. So he can supply their faith. He prays that way. So that they would superabound in love. And that they would be established or strengthened. Their hearts, the very core of their motivation, would be strengthened in holiness. Because those three things all flow from being together. Paul is desperately praying that way. Lord, would you bring us together so that they can be supplied with faith where it's lacking, so they can superabound in love and also be strengthened in holiness. And that's the result that, that Paul prays for, but it's also something that, that we need in our life in Christ together. And we need that face-to-face personal interaction if we're going to experience that. And so Paul, the very first thing we see is what's important to him, what was important to him in prayer, and praying for this shared life together, this opportunity to be with them. He was seeking to supply their faith because a shared life in Christ seeks to supply faith. That's what Paul was seeking to do. He was seeking to supply what was lacking in their faith. Not lacking in the sense that they were deficient in a bad way, negatively, like they were doing something wrong. No, he's, you know what, we're not fully informed. We need each other if we're going to grow in faith. We also need the apostle, the apostolic witness, we need the testimony of the apostles to grow in our faith. And so Paul knew that they needed God's word to grow in faith, but they also needed God's word mediated in the presence of God's people in order to be supplied in their faith. Do you know we need that kind of interaction as well? We need a shared life in Christ in order to be supplied in our faith because none of us is sufficient completely in our own, in our faith. You know, God made us that way. We, we went through the letter to Corinthians a while back and we saw that each one of us is a different part, a different role in the body. Every, everybody's made a little differently, uniquely. God has gifted each and every member here. Don't forget that. We need shared interaction if we're going to be supplied in our faith in areas that are lacking. You know, you might be strong in a certain area of your faith, and living out your faith-filled life, trusting in Christ, you might be strong in one area. And somebody else might be weak in the exact same area you're strong in. Or, or someone else might be strong in the exact area that you need to be strengthened in. Paul was aware of that, and so he prayed that way that, that we would be Supplied that the Thessalonians church should be supplied in their faith and supplied by a shared life together. So he asks this rhetorical question. He says, how can I possibly pay, pay God back for, for all the joy that I experience in his presence because of you? Because Paul sees that God has been working in their lives. He's overjoyed, but he knows he doesn't stop there. The initial response to Christ is not sufficient. What they need is to grow and continue to grow in faith. And so Paul knows that we need that shared life to grow in our faith. Church, don't be content with being at a distance from other people in the church. Don't don't be content with being, I'm just going to learn from afar. No, it's as we share our lives together that we are stimulated, that we grow in faith together. And their faith, Gordon Fee says in this passage, is not about... Their way of entry into Christian life. This is not, he's not saying, hey, they're not yet Christians. No, it's not about a way of entering into Christian life, but of the way they live out that faith in a very practical, everyday circumstances. That's their faithfulness. So he's praying that he might be able to supply their faith. It's as you see. And hear testimonies. I love that we're going through this saturate field guide together as a church. And, and we get to hear at least once a month people's stories. Why? Because I need to hear those. I, I need to hear the stories of other believers. How God has been at work in their lives. Because it builds my faith. It supplies what's lacking my faith. I can hear, wow, God was at work in these, all these different ways. God has been at work in their lives. He's currently at work in their lives. And that is the supply of faith. And that helps buoy up my faith. I don't know how many times my faith has been encouraged as I watch somebody else walk through hardship or difficulty or suffering or through a parenting issue or through marriage issues and see God sustain them and strengthen them actually as a means to sustain and strengthen my faith. Talking to other believers and, and hearing about how God's at work in their lives. Hearing about how they're sharing the gospel with their neighbors, hearing about how they're leading a Bible study with other people in the neighborhood, and how those people are bringing other people without even being asked to, and how God's at work. That that builds faith. God uses our shared relationships to supply what's lacking in our faith. Not just knowledge about God, but knowledge that's applied, that we see knowledge of God working in reality. You know, how many times has your faith been built as you've heard somebody else's testimony or have you seen them remain faithful? How many, how many times has, have you been encouraged as somebody's listened to your problems and encouraged you specifically from God's word and supplied your faith, to supply what was lacking? A shared life in Christ is meant to supply was lacking and, and, and I love how Paul prays. He, he says, you know, in the previous verses, he said that Satan had hindered them and he prays now that Jesus and God the Father, would you remove all hindrances so that I can be with them? Do you think of gathering together with God's people that way, do you think, hey, Satan is constantly trying to hinder us from being together? Did you know that? Do you ever have arguments on the way to church on Sunday morning? And you're like, I'm not going to do this, I'm just going to turn around. Like, you ever feel that way? You ever going home on the way to care group because you and your spouse or your kids or whoever or your friend, you got in a fight and you're like, I just can't do this. <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong to turn around, but I but actually see that behind that is, is, you know, the devil's actually trying to hinder us from being together. He's trying to hinder us I'm too tired, life's hard right now, I don't feel good, I'm discouraged. All those areas, all those times when we actually need fellowship the most is is actually, Satan's often hindering us. And so Paul prays, would you, Jesus, God the Father, would you remove all hindrances? Would you make it a way way possible for us to be together because that's how our faith is supplied? That's what he prays for. Do Do you pray that way? Do you think that way? Do you pray, God, would you remove a hindrance? Lord, would you give me strength? And it might shock you to know, by the way, that your small group leaders may not feel like being there either. But boy, I'm always just so encouraged. I have never left a time together with God's people I thought, you know what? God wasn't present. No, God's always been present in some way. He always is present to bless. When his two or more gather in his name, God is there in our midst. And we need that. We need that to supply our faith. Don't let the devil hinder you. Ask, ask the Lord to remove, just like Paul's praying, Lord, God, would you remove all hindrances? Would you would you remove the things in my life that that keep me that are barriers, Lord, to maybe this maybe it's judgmental attitudes, maybe it's viewing people self-righteously? Lord, would you remove all that stuff so that I can I can benefit and I can supply faith to others? First kind of question is are are you face to face with other believers? Are you sharing life? Do you supply life? Do you supply faith? Do you, do you seek to have your faith supplied? Well, Paul Paul reveal not only is, is a shared life of faith or supplying faith important, but a, a shared life in Christ seeks to superabound in love. That's, that's the word he actually uses. It's, it's superabounding. He, he uses two different words here. He says, would, would, may the Lord, in verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound. And the English language is trying to get their head around the fact that there's two very similar words. It's superabound and abound. So they're like, well, that sounds a little weird to say superabound and abound. So we'll say increase and abound. But Paul prays so he can be with, together with them so that they might superabound in love, so they might be overflowing in their love for each other and then for the saints. pray that he prays that God might make them super abound in love. Think about that word. It's to be like so full that it's like filling up a reservoir until it begins to overflow. It spills over. It has an effect on everything around it. It it goes over the dam. It fills everything up and super abounding in love. This is a love that seeks to supply what's lacking in other people's faith. A primary way that this young church is meant to grow in their faith, is through God making their love for one another superbound. You see, faith is actually tied to love because faith is worked out in, in love. Faith is seen. The results of your faith in Christ are seen in how you love one another. And by the way, that inspires and spurs you on to love somebody else too. When you have experienced the love, the affection of another believer for no good reason, and I know you have because I see that kind of love at play in our church all the time, if you've experienced that kind of sacrificial love, the love that, that sticks with you, that stays up late praying with you, that brings meals, that seeks to care, that mows your lawn, that does whatever the different ways that we can show our love, it has an effect. It actually is the means to stir up our faith, and then it makes us love Jesus even more and say, thank you, God, that, that you have changed their lives so much that you show me your love through other people. And that's what the shared life does. It seeks to superabound in love. And notice that he says, No, I want you to superabound in love for one another first, and then for all others. Now, he doesn't necessarily mean people outside the church. He could mean people outside the church as well. But first, starting in the church, you know, I love my family in a way that's unique compared to all of you. I love you. You are my family spiritually. But I, but I love my, my physical family in a way that's unique. And he's saying that in a, in a church family we're to love our church family in a way that's unique that has a special kind of love. We, we start there we, we share this love for our church family for those who are in God's family and, and through that sharing of love that's how God uses to actually make us more like him. I want you to think for just a moment how have you been loved by other believers? Don't think about all the offenses for even for a minute, but how have you been loved by other believers in this church? How have you seen God's love at work in them? Now, now, one of the ways we can see God's love at work in other believers is, is when we see that we've offended somebody else. Anybody here ever offend somebody else in the church? Like, my hand is up, okay? Anybody else offend somebody? Anybody else been a, been a kind of a jerk to somebody else? I mean, come on. Been impatient, self-righteous, been rude, Unkind. And then to experience the love of Christ through forgiveness, man, that's compelling. That makes me want to be like Jesus. It makes me want to love like that. The kind of love that puts up with us in our foolishness, the kind of love that when we're unlovely, and by the way, all of us are unlovely at times when we're loved and when we're unlovely and that through that shared fellowship that we have together, that makes us love Jesus more and want to love Jesus more and want to grow to be like him. And it's our love as a Christian community, Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. That's where it starts. The church is meant to be this training ground for, for loving all people. Just like if you want to play piano publicly or want to go have a public recital, the first place you begin to practice is, is likely at home. In your own family, and so Paul is saying, you know, practice loving. I want you to superbound love for one another first before you take it on the road. If you're not loving in the community of the church, let me tell you, that's that's not only not compelling; it it, it speaks of hypocrisy. And so he says, I pray that you is super superbound in your love for one another and for all others. Um, the truth of the gospel it's it's made real by our love for each other. It's made real and appealing. I like the way John, puts, John Stott puts it. He says, he says, truth is hard if it's not softened by love. If you're just going to give people gospel truth without loving them, if you're going to tell people the truth without loving them, then that's hard. He says, truth is hard if it's not softened by love. And love is soft if it's not strengthened by the truth. So our faith and love go together. The truth of our faith must be coupled with superabounding love. Paul was praying they might superbound in love for all. But love's not automatic. It's learned, isn't it? We learn it primarily from Jesus. In this is love that he loved us, that he demonstrated his great love for us by condescending to come down to our level, by humbling himself, by becoming man, by, by living a, a life and putting up with us. We saw how kind of love he had putting up with us, what kind of love he had by being patient, what kind of love he had by him giving himself sacrificially on the cross. Greater love is no man than this than to lay down his life. And Jesus did that. So we're experiencing it from Christ, but we're, we're also meant to experience it through other believers. That's what Paul is praying. It's not sufficient to say that I, I'm a Christian unless you are living a life of love, super to love to other believers. The kind of love that makes us want to love like Christ that Compels us to want to change, that makes us want to love others too. Are, are you seeking to superabound in love? Are you seeking to experience the love of Christ and show other people the love of Christ because you have received it unmerited yourself? But notice it doesn't end with love for one another and for all. Paul prays that he would increase their love, that they would superabound in love for a reason, for a purpose. And I, and I love the next two words. Look in verse 13, it says, So that. So he prays that he would supply what's like they'd be together so he could supply what's lacking in their faith, so and and that they would superabound in love so that he wants them to grow in faith, be supplied in faith. He wants them to have superabounding love so that, so that they might be strengthened in holiness. If you want to live the Christian life, you need to be encouraged in your faith and you need to superabound in love in order to grow in holiness. Holiness is not motivated by I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm just going to obey Jesus. I'm going to do the right thing. No, it's motivated by, by seeing the grounds for our faith and, and seeing it lived out in a life of love, and that makes us want to be holy. It's a means so that, he prays, that our faith might be supplied and that your love might superbound so that you can live lives of holiness. Because you know why? Jesus is coming back. Paul, in prayer... Gordon Fee says, desires the Lord cause their love to increase and overflow so that in this way Christ will also strengthen their hearts in holiness in preparation for his parousia or his return, his coming back. Your heart needs strengthening since as the center and source of the whole inner life. That's what the heart is in the Bible. It's, it's the core of our very being, what motivates us. It, it needs strengthening. It's the source of the inner life. It's thinking, it's feeling, it's volition. It's the source of all purposeful conduct. And so it needs strengthening. In, in increasing in our faith, being our faith being supplied, superabounding love is the means by which God actually makes us holy. I mentioned earlier, if you've ever been forgiven by somebody When you've offended them, you've been loved like that. It makes me want to not sin against them anymore. God makes us holy as we experience that love, those loving relationships with one another. He makes us want to be more like him. You know, the alternative to our love for another and for a super abounding in love is that we become self-focused and live self-centered, selfish lives. And that's the temptation. As we withdraw from fellowship, Is you become kind of self-centered, self-focused. You lose perspective. You become selfish. You live these self-centered lives. And so Paul's praying that that would not be the case for that church, and I pray that it would not be the case for our church, that we would then see that abounding in love is, is the means by which it keeps us from being self-focused and self-centered and selfish. It's the means by which God makes us Holy. Yes, he already made us blameless in standing. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's not our standing before Christ. He's talking about how how God conforms us into the image of Christ actually. So in our position, he's made us completely blameless and righteous. That's what we celebrated, and we shared that together, by the way. There's a reason why we share communion together publicly. We're sharing our confession, our faith, that he has made us righteous in him, that he's made us clean, that he's given us his life. That's what we're confessing together. So positionally, he's made us blameless and holy. But we still need to be made into his image, to be conformed into his image. And, and the means that he uses to conform us into his image is this shared life together. And so he prays that way. He prays that God might establish or strengthen our hearts, blameless in holiness, that we might actually become who we already have been made to be isn't that your desire? Don't you want that? Don't, when you see the gap between who God says you are and then the sin in your life, the remaining sin, doesn't that make you want to say, God, I, would you purify me? Would you make me holy? Would you make me like you, Lord? Would you rid me of these sins, Lord, so that I can see your work in me, Lord, and so that you can be glorified? And how God is glorified and how God works in us is through this shared life together as we supply each other's faith, as we superabound in love strengthens us in our holiness. If we're going to be established in godliness in our relationships, we need to learn to love each other like that, to forbear when somebody's annoying, to forgive when somebody sins, to ask forgiveness, to humble yourself, to, to cover, love covers a multitude of sins. Loving in a way that produces holiness is, is, Saying, I'm going to think the best of other people when I'm tempted to think the worst. I'm going to humble myself because I love them, even though right now I feel like they're being proud. I'm going to love them. I'm going to show them grace because God has shown me grace. That's, that's love that compels us to live more holy. And by the way, those kinds of interactions only happen as we share life together. Because if you're not in life together, it's really easy to think that you're already sanctified. If you are by yourself, you can think that you're good and you're sanctified. But boy, there's something about being together that reveals that you are not sanctified. You are not actually holy yet. I am not actually holy when I'm like, oh, Lord, help me keep my mouth shut. I mean, I'm sure you have those moments, right? Or when you say something unkind or when you're impatient, it reveals we need that. God's designed it that way. He's designed it so we benefit from this shared life together, supply each other's faith, superabounding love, so we can strengthen in holiness. This shared life in Christ is the means that God uses. That's what Paul's praying. He's praying that we will share life, because this is the means that God uses until he comes. He is coming back for a bride. Jesus is returning. We have that guarantee. And one of the means that he, he lets us know, that gives us confidence that we are believers is as we see the love of God at work in other people's lives, and our lives, as we see that we're growing in holiness, we be confident that, wait, that God, you're actually at work. I, I really am a believer. I really am a Christian. God, I, I, I'm going to be faithful to the end because you are keeping me faithful to the end. And He uses these means to do so. Are you seeking this kind of a shared life? Are you a means of grace? through this kind of shared life? Are you, are you seeking to supply your faith, supply your faith and, be, and supply the faith of others? Are you seeking to superabound in love? Are you seeking to be strengthened and strengthen others in holiness, not by pointing out areas of deficiency necessarily, but by, by loving them, by building their faith? And are you doing all, all that with the second coming of Christ in mind? Because He is coming back. And, and why Paul prays that way? Because he, he's he's showing us what's important in light of Christ's return. And there's so many other things that we can value as important. Our preferences, what what we want to do, what we think is important, it can become everything. All that becomes subject to the fact that He is coming back. And then, how do we live? How do we live in light of that return? How do we live this shared life together? And, and Paul. Wonderfully Christ says, you know, we, we need to share our life in Christ together because we need to be supplied with faith. We need superbounded love. we we'll be strengthened with holiness and, until he returns. Amen? Instead of closing in a normal prayer, I'm just going to pray what I do for my kids most nights. Straight from number 624. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That's what we desperately need. We need God's blessings and his blessings come to us through his people. Amen? Um, I'm gonna do something different and um, if the band go and come up and and, uh, play. I'm gonna invite you to, if you have any area that you need prayer, um, today is celebrating the day of Pentecost. So we're just gonna take a a moment to celebrate that. And so you can go ahead and stand up so it doesn't make people awkward for things. Go ahead and stand up so it's not as awkward. And as we're singing, um, I'm going to have a few of our leaders. If, you're, if you are um, one of our small group leaders, or if you are a deacon, if you are um, an elder here, if you can come forward, please, and just stand at the front. Um, even if nobody comes up, we're just all going to pray anyway. we don't want to give an opportunity to respond. If you, if you need prayer for anything, prayer in any way, we're going to ask you to go and come up prayer, prayer. We won't be embarrassed. You could be sick, you could be Um, discouraged no matter what it is if you would like prayer we want you to go ahead and come and receive prayer as we sing so let's let's sing together rejoicing in god and and as we do that go ahead and come up in prayer so